stolen my dreams. A green hydrogen powerhouse. Let's talk about climate change. Yeah, something new and different is bringing to Radio National climate alarmism. I mean, honestly. How dare you? This is the last chance. Yeah, this is the carbon counter, your day's news in a decarbonising economy. And with the G20 and COP27 now well and truly over, which summit do you think achieved more for climate change action? I think it'd be fair to assume that the climate change conference, COP27, will be the one. Well, as you know, the formation of the loss and damage fund is being hailed as one of the most significant outcomes of COP27. But how do the outcomes from COP27 compare to the steps taken at the G20? Toby Phillips is the Sustainable Economy Program Director at the Centre for Policy Development. Welcome to you, Tony. Uh, Toby, my apologies. Hi, Andy. How are you? Can we get a bit of an overview of what was achieved at COP27 as a baseline here? I mean, we know about the sustain- the, uh, the loss um, and damage fund. We know about the 1.5 degrees being kept alive. How do you rate the achievements of COP27? year and, and there's a big COP every five years. And so last year in Glasgow was one of the big ones. So this year, you know, what we did see was some countries were trying to walk back agreements that, you know, they might have regretted um, the morning after the Glasgow conference. So it was a bit disappointing from that front. Um, apart from the loss and damage fund, you know, there, there were other wins along the way. So, you know, negotiators filled out some of the details of a framework for a new global carbon trading scheme. Um there was agreement to to kind of keep alive the goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees and that's you know that's really important because going into this cop even that was that was at risk that there was a risk that this would actually um, end up being worse than glasgow so look i think you know the the silver lining coming out of the cop is that that line was held. Um, the the global leaders, the global community, still is aiming for one limiting warming to one point five degrees. But um, look, apart from that, um, there weren't really many major wins. Moreover, there was that proposal at COP twenty seven to phase out all fossil fuels, but it wasn't uh, unanimously adopted. Uh, of course, renewables and low emissions plans were agreed on instead. So, what will that entail? Yeah, well, look, I think you know this is this is something where you see um, compromise happening in these these international fora. So at Glasgow, we saw the agreement to phase out unabated coal, and there was a lot of hope that that would be that that would be broadened to to an agreement to phase out all fossil fuels. But I think it's kind of indicative of how tough this COP was um, that that proposal just just didn't get up, and you know, so the agreement was more to look at low emissions energy mix rather than phasing out emissions in. Energies. We were left wanting with COP27 on a clear advancement to, well, the, in, in the transition to net zero. So, what kind of other proposals were discussed that could have been more concrete about uh, heading towards net zero at COP27? Yeah, look, I mean, what a you know, at COP27, there's sort of a smorgasbord of, of proposals on the agenda from from financing schemes to, to deeper country commitments. Um, I actually think at the same time as COP27, um, the G20 really showed us what progress can look like and 
the sorts of proposals that got up there were major financing. So we're talking things like $20 billion funds um, set up to to ensure just transition and, and phase out of coal power plants um, in, in some Southeast Asian countries in our region. And, you know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff, these, these major international financing schemes, commitments, hard commitments from countries to actually phase out uh, and wind down coal. That's the kind of stuff that's that's on the agenda at these forums. Um, and we just didn't really see that get up at a global level um, because, you know, as I said, coming out of the the Glasgow COP last year, some countries just didn't have the ambition and the motivation going into COP27. So if we were to give COP27, what, uh, three and a half stars, four stars, what's your review? Oof, out of five, yeah. um, I'd probably go, <laughs> look, um, two or three stars from me, I think. Okay, all right, that's handy. We're going to need that because uh, Toby Phillips is here, by the way, from the Centre for Policy Development. We're talking about the environmental outcomes of, well, the COP27 and G20. So let's talk about G20. Uh, what sort of commitments for climate change action came out of this conference? Yeah, look, coming out of... G20, we saw a much stronger political commitment to climate action. So what that means is is leaders got together and they said they're going to um, accelerate their domestic transitions. Um, you know, that's much clearer language than we saw from COP. Um, we, we saw big commitments to, to financing and in particular to financing to help countries um, that are going to struggle much harder to make the transition. So, um, you know, Indonesia was was the host of the G20 um, and they actually announced a, a financing package in conjunction with several other G20 countries to, um, to roll out uh, and phase out um, uh, generation in Indonesia. I think the other sorts of things that we saw discussed at G20 um, was just uh, a lot of progress on the sidelines. So, you know, of interest for Australia, um, there were really strong signals about much closer cooperation in lithium battery supply chains, which is very important for our two countries, being the world's two biggest coal exporters. Uh, and, you know, that kind of that kind of progress at both the political level and on the sidelines um, was you know, I think uh, a real contrast to what we saw coming out of COP. So this Bali Declaration certainly was the plan to sort of limit uh, temperature increases to 1.5. Do, do you agree that this is a much stronger commitment that we've seen in the past? Yeah, look, I think it's not necessarily um, a great deal stronger than, say, you know, what, what we saw at Glasgow and building on Paris, but certainly it builds on previous commitments. And, and I think importantly, it maintains um, or it states that, that countries are going to aim to accelerate their efforts. And that's actually, you know, relatively strong language. Certainly, I think when reading that next to what came out from COP, that's, that's the, real, the real contrast. So it shows that at this moment in time, while some countries are looking at, at pulling back, um, and, you know, that's, that's what's reflected in the global summit at COP, um, what we do see at this moment in time is the world's 20 largest economies are really leaning into the transition and saying they want to push it forward. So, yeah, looking at the Bali Declaration, it's, it's definitely stronger language and and that's, that's quite heartening to see. So uh, out of five, how many stars would you give the G20 for climate action, do you think? Oh, look, particularly when 
sat next to the cop, I'd say four stars. Four stars, yes. Well, certainly uh, the kind of encouragement for central banks to do more is interesting. Of course, we had our own RBA uh, be asked whether or not they should be responding to climate change and they sort of ducked the question, made it sort of about the federal government. What's your view on that? Yeah, look, we made a submission to the um, federal government's review into the RBA and, you know, climate change is going to be one of the dominant concerns for financial stability over the next century. Like that's that's kind of an economic fact. And just last week at, at a CEDA conference, the RBA government governor, um, he even said that we're going to see more price disruptions from climate change. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sort of no argument that this is a concern for central banks. The thing is, monetary policy itself, so like the, the interest rate, can't actually address climate change. And certainly we're not suggesting that it can. But in our submission, we we really proposed a few ways to equip the RBA and that the government can prepare the RBA and help encourage the RBA to prepare for a assessing the climate risk exposure of bonds that the RBA holds through its collateral framework, um, for the RBA to assess and issue its own climate risk disclosures around um, climate risk impacts to the Australian economy, things about skills and competencies and capabilities, and also just clarifying this need and this purpose um, through either something like a ministerial declaration or an updated mandate. It certainly seems to be something that many global governments are putting at the heart of their policy making, whether it's agencies within the government or departments. We'll have to leave it there. Toby Phillips is the Sustainable Economy Program Director at the Centre for Policy Development. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks, Andy. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.